Welcome to China Tech Talk, the regular discussion of technology and startups here in China. I am John Artman, editor in chief of TechNode.com, joined as always by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. And before we get into this week's discussion, I just wanted to remind everyone that TechNode we have launched our membership program, calling it TechNode Squared. You can go to our website TechNode.com to sign up, where you can get access to our premium newsletters, including our weekly, our our biweekly one on ByteDance, and our soon to be launched biweekly on the automobile industry and automobile tech industry in China. And so you go to TechNode.com and sign up there. So the big the big news in, in the tech world is the launch of Facebook's cryptocurrency. Now, this obviously this is slightly outside of our wheelhouse here on China Tech Talk, but I but I promise you we will make it relevant to China. Just just give us a couple minutes. But but like I said, I mean this is this really is huge news. You know, it's been rumored for a, a little bit more than a year that uh, that Facebook was going to launch some kind of cryptocurrency and I have to say that thankfully it's not one of those pump and dump kind of ICO non sense things. I mean, Facebook doesn't really need to be raising money. Instead, what they're doing is they're actually, they've actually, in my opinion, created a fairly interesting use case for cryptocurrency. But it's one of those things, they, they, they've been kind of forced to use blockchain because working with credit card companies is, is a bit difficult. And so this is kind of where, where China comes in, you know, where we, you know, looking at the, the most immediate comparison is, is with WeChat. And and Matt, I understand that that's been kind of the the discussion on on Chinese media. This has been kind of the narrative. Everyone's saying, "Hey, look, Facebook is is copying Tencent again." Yeah, I don't think we'll go too much into uh, the details on Facebook Libra. I, I think we could, we can assume that the listeners, if they haven't already, probably you know they can stop this podcast and go and read. There's there's so many articles about it, right? So rather than going over the details of what is Libra, I think we're going to assume that people know that it's you know a stable coin based on cryptocurrency and ha- have the basic details down. What we want to do in this episode is talk about the lessons from China, right? Which uh, in in the Chinese market mostly. The big player here, who's equivalent to Facebook, is Tencent, and and what they've done. There's, like you've just mentioned, John. There's been a lot of people comparing it to WeChat Pay, right? Is the obvious comparison, but there's a lot more actually in in the Chinese market than just WeChat Pay. And there's a sort of um, a discord between the sort of media narratives around comparing the Chinese examples to this new Facebook Libra pro- project, uh, in that. In Western media, there seems to be a consensus that there's a certain element that Facebook is taking inspiration from WeChat Pay, but there's very little coverage of Qcoin, which is a Tencent virtual currency which has been around since uh, the early 2000s, which in Chinese media, most of the Chinese media are saying, oh, Libra is a version of Qcoin. Um, so maybe it's to do with a, just a lack of knowledge around Qcoin um, in the Western market. Most people have heard of WeChat Pay and they understand that it's huge in China and people mobile payments have had a huge impact here and been quite disruptive in the last five years. But there's much less sort of knowledge around, oh, you know, before, way back in the day, even before Bitcoin, Tencent went to IPO off the back of 
uh, a virtual currency called Qcoin, which was massively successful. And um, and this actually does also provide like uh, some insight into how things might play out for Libra. I think it provides a lot of insight actually into how things might provide play out for Libra. And that's what we hope to cover today is sort of bring our listeners up to scratch with, you know, what's the dialogue going on in the Chinese market and then our own sort of personal opinions. Uh, maybe also talk a bit about crypto because you're, you're, you're up on that, John, uh, with what's happening in the, if there's any lessons from the crypto market in China and, and things like peer-to-peer payments, which we've covered before. I think there's a lot of experimentation in the Chinese market, which might provide some insight into, you know, what's going to happen with Libra. What can we expect? Yeah, I mean, I think there's 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 a lot to unpack. So let's let's just start start with Qcoin, and and I think that Matt, maybe you can give us um, a, a brief history. I kind of want to talk about the differences between Qcoin and and Facebook Libra because there are some really significant ones. But if you can just give us a um, uh, some background really really quick, so that way I'm not just jumping into it too quick. Yeah, sure, sure. I think that's necessary. Like I said, knowledge of Qcoin outside of China is basically non-existent because even even expats uh, like ourselves who live in China non-chinese basically don't use Qcoin I mean John have you ever used Qcoin no I've, I've never had any reason right. to ever actually I've never actually even been on QQ to be honest yeah, right exactly I mean even bef- the pre-mobile era um, obviously before 2011 mm-hmm. in China QQ there, w- there was no WeChat and everyone was on QQ and QQ is one of the big, big differences between QQ and WeChat is that QQ has its own currency called Qcoin, a QB in Chinese. Um, and WeChat never actually went down this road. Um, there's no WeChat coins, right? Um, and that's mainly a decision take. Well, it's a very Alan Jung decision, right? Like, so the, the founder of WeChat team, and it's not really his style to do that kind of thing. But if you look at other messaging apps in Asia, like Line Messenger in Japan, for example, it does have its own virtual currency. They have Line coins. So it's um, it's not something that would is impossible to imagine that WeChat would do. But they've never they've never explored that opportunity. Um, however, like for QCoin and QQ, it was a major revenue source. In fact, it was the major revenue source for Tencent in, in the pre-WeChat era was Qcoin. And even today, it's a serious source of revenue. And and we and Tencent basically went to IPO in 2004 on the, on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And the lion's share of their revenue back then was people buying this virtual currency. Um, it became massively successful, um, so successful that the Chinese government had to regulate against it because it was actually, you know, according to some quotes in like Wall Street Journal back in the day, uh, it was something crazy like about 13% of the Chinese cash economy. It was, was uh, you know, Qcoin in terms of the scale of transactions going on was, was around 13% of Chinese cash economy. You know, there were shopkeepers, who are accepting Qcoin for payment in rural areas, um, along with RMB. Some internet workers, like website admins, were actually being paid in Qcoin. And so there was this, this is basically grey economy, a huge grey economy <laughs> that was built around uh, trading in Qcoins. So Qcoins, like you could use them to buy things uh, on QQ. You could use them to buy things in games, virtual items. You could dress up uh, a sort of virtual avatar uh, your QQ show, uh, this little uh, character who would appear next to your chat conversations when you were using QQ Messenger. So people would use it to to 
to buy clothes or backgrounds or musics for music for their for their little avatar or for their blog um, QZone, uh, which back in the day was a very very popular blogging uh, platform. So there's many ways you could you could use these uh, Q coins to to buy different things. And actually, there's a very complex leveling system uh, based around diamonds and different colored diamonds. And basically, the more time you spent on QQ, the higher your level. And then if you actually bought these uh, Q coins, you, you also got benefits. And the systems were quite complex, actually. But it was sort of incentivizing everyone to A, spend money and, and B, spend more time on QQ. It actually infuriated a lot of people, and I think by today's standards, it would be considered quite you know spammy or annoying. I think for many people, certainly if you're used to using a messenger product uh, like WhatsApp or, or WeChat, you're probably going to find some of the stuff that QQ did back in the day to be like super annoying. But you know, in the desktop era in China, it's kind of like that. I think a lot of you know, if you look back at like the 360 QQ war and the stuff that went back on there, it was kind of crazy to think about that. Now it was a very messy. Uh, era, but yeah, this this is the background on on Qcoin. So it was a, it was a virtual currency, massively successful, so successful that the government regulated against it, and there was a whole black economy mm. built around it as well. Like um, you could gamble on games in you know like card games online and win Qcoins, and then you could actually sell those Qcoins on Taobao, like on e-commerce marketplaces. You wouldn't actually get. The, the exchange rate was one QQ coin for one RMB. Right. So you couldn't actually cash out directly one for one. You could you can buy it. So if you're buying a Q coin from Tencent, so Tencent's issuing, they have basically unlimited Q coins, right? For them, they're issuing a, a, a virtual currency with no cost of goods sold. And they, you know, you buy it one for one. But if you want to cash out through a sort of the gray or black market way uh, through Taobao sellers, you could get roughly about seven, you know, 0.7 RMB per Q coin. So, um, yeah, it was you, you could you know gamble with it and and cash out with back into the into the real you know uh, RMB um, cash economy. And a lot of people were doing that. And if you wanted to make transactions that were a little bit, shall we say, out of the scope of the the legal system, then using Q coin was a was a great alternative. So there was some sort of parallels there between Q coin and, and Bitcoin actually in some respects. Yeah, and, and it is interesting because like you mentioned that that WeChat doesn't uh, doesn't have virtual currency and that was a that was a conscious decision. You know, I was in Thailand recently where where Line is super super popular mm. uh, and they they use a virtual currency, but to be honest, when I'm thinking about like so I ended up buying a, a sticker pack on online because like it's Star Wars and Darth Vader, you know, whatever. <laughs> but you know, but now that I think of it, you know, Actually, virtual currencies, you don't really need them anymore. I mean, if you have, if you have a robust in-app purchasing system provided by the, the mobile phone's operating system, whether that's Android, iOS, or, or, you know, Huawei's thing, whatever, whenever they're coming out with that, you know, you don't really need virtual currency in a, in a certain sense, I don't think, because you just, you can just directly buy stuff using, using whatever payment method that you have connected to, uh, to your account sure. on on the phone, and so in, in my case, it's actually WeChat. I actually I actually pay for Apple stuff with with uh, with WeChat Pay. Whereas with Line, what I have to do is if I want to buy a sticker pack, I have to go and I have to buy a certain number of coins, and uh, and the coins are different different prices depending on how much you're buying at a single time. 
and then I and then, and then I use those coins to buy customizations, uh, sticker packs, and 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 so on. And it seems to me that, in in fact, you know, that's just an extra step. I mean, like you know, whereas WeChat, if I want to buy a sticker pack, I just go to where the sticker pack is. It costs you know less than one renminbi or whatever, and I can I can purchase that with uh, with Apple uh, through through the Apple uh, iOS uh, system. So it seems it seems like in this day and age, you know, virtual currencies just aren't really needed anymore. I mean, is is KuCoin still in use? KuCoin's still in use. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can actually buy it on in through the WeChat wallet. It's one of the top options, and yeah, there's still a lot of people buying KuCoin for sure. Uh, to to caveat your point about that, yeah, it's not immediately obvious why you would want a virtual currency for something like that. There are some benefits, however. But for games especially, uh, if you have a virtual currency, it kind of sort of abstracts away from the real money that you're spending. So psychologically, by using a virtual currency, people spend more. Right. And especially if you ob- obtru- deliberately obtrusify uh, at the exchange rate and make it a little bit complex so that people have to you know, do some mental maths in their mind to actually work out how much they're actually spending in, in, in real currency. So that can actually make it you know, psychologically, that that leads to higher spending games, and then as a, as a platform, if you can often often you can actually buy the virtual currency, but also you can earn it as well. So uh, for something like Line, I think they also you can buy Line coins, but you can also earn them by downloading apps. Like if you download the Line TV app, I, I think they give you some some Line coin reward. Uh, something like that. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that. That might be inaccurate because I'm not a I'm not heavy line user. I have used it before and I've got it on my phone. But my e- either way, like that's what exactly what Tencent's done in China before. Like they would incentivize you a KuCoin uh, for using new products and services. So a quick, an easy way for them to drive uh, user acquisition for new new services and platforms would be to just offer KuCoin benefits uh, for anyone who registered for the for the new platform. So for and for them that's you know zero it doesn't cost them anything right it's a virtual currency exactly so they can yeah, mix up this uh, systems of like incentivizing people to do things they want them to do and also generating revenue together in one place yeah and that kind of brings me to you know how Qcoin is and even you know line coins are are different from what 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 Facebook is trying to do you know it's also very different from when like what like kick would try to do when they when mm. they did their their ICO right i mean like so for for kick you know the their ICO was all about raising money. You know they were one of the first messengers on the market. They were super super successful for a time, but you know they just been kind of. I mean, user numbers have been declining steadily, if not rapidly, for the last uh, few years um, for Kick. They, they haven't been doing well, uh, and so you know instead of raising another round of, of VC money, they decided to do uh, an ICO. And the way that they spun it was like, hey, you can use this to buy stuff. You can use this to you know uh, transact with other users, and 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 so on and so on. And never really took off. I mean, I think that I think that kick, unfortunately, is just not not in a good in a good place. Um, whereas, as I alluded to earlier, you know, Facebook they don't need to raise money. Obviously, it'd be great. I'm sure they they're thinking hey, it'd be great if we had more money, but they don't. They they really really don't need to. Instead, what they need to what they're looking at is uh, longer term strategy. 
And and honestly, I think that that you know they would be stupid if they weren't looking at China and being like, hey, you know, you have these two these two big companies. Uh, one company owns the messaging platform, and they have payments integrated into that. We need to get into that space. We need to get into that space. And you know, Apple's there, Google's there, but Facebook, for a variety of reasons, um, is not. And so this is really kind of their their solution for that. And I think it's really interesting because. Like the difference between like like Qcoin and and Libra is that Qcoin is a hundred percent owned by Tencent. They they determine the supply, they determine how it can be used, how it can't be used, and they can use it pretty much however they want. And as you said, there's there's no cost of goods sold, and it's a hundred percent centralized. All the information is in the centralized database that uh, that uh, Tencent controls. Now with with Libra, Libra is actually it's not. Owned or controlled by Facebook, um, so obviously they have, uh, they will have, they will be part of its overall governance structure, um, but it's not something that's going to be a hundred percent controlled by Facebook. Instead, it's going to be a distributed network between between other stakeholders, so banks, uh, venture capital, other other types of incre- accredited investors, and and so on and so on. I mean, again, if you want the details for for Libra in particular, there's a lot of information out there. We'll we'll link some some stuff in the show notes. But that's 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 one of the really big really big differences is that Qcoin, you know, it's just a number a number in a spreadsheet somewhere. Whereas whereas Libra, it's a, it's a number in a spreadsheet, but that spreadsheet is distributed. Uh, between and, it, and it's maintained by a variety of of stakeholders, and so that you know one day Facebook can't just say, "Hey, you know this is worth this amount of money," or like, "Hey, you know you can't use it in this in this in this sense or anything like that." What it really comes down to is that Facebook does not does not control it, and obviously, I mean, they can they can lobby, they can influence other stakeholders, but but at the same time, it's not going to be just you know a unilateral decision coming coming from them, and it's actually really interesting. Way to popularize blockchain as well. You know, I've been I've been paying attention to the blockchain space for about two years now, and it feels like finally there's actually actually is kind of an interesting use case. It's been sitting around, relatively obvious, but it's not until a player like Facebook comes along that uh, that it actually can can gain some traction. Yeah, and we've seen Bitcoin prices has risen recently. Uh, it's fallen back a little bit in the last couple of days, but. Certainly, there's been a, a spike there, uh, a revival of Bitcoin surpassed that 10, 10k uh, USD mark, uh, which was a psychological barrier, I think. And the that might be a coincidence, but it it might not, right? I think there is a consensus that Facebook moving into this space is um, is going to drive global interest in in cryptocurrencies. And yeah, I would go along with that. I think the the real power of um, Facebook entering this space is that connection to the consumers around the world in terms of, you know, they have, was it, uh, to be, their messaging apps altogether is, is well over 2 billion unique users, right, that they have between WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, uh, and I think even if you include like the messaging within Instagram or, or Facebook itself, you're, you're looking at just reaching a, a very sizable proportion of all people on the planet uh, across all different continents and sort of income levels. So that's probably why it needs to be a cryptocurrency, why it needs to be a, a new currency, is, is that 
actually trying to roll out something like this where it's based upon local currencies is a complete nightmare, right? So that's one of the key differences between what Tencent does in China, where there's a unified market which has one currency. And so when they do something like WeChat Pay, it can work for all of pretty much all, not all of their users, but like 90% of their users are in China or are Chinese or, you know, uh, around the world who would have uh, used RMB. And, and so they don't need to complicate things with their own, uh, with creating a, a cryptocurrency. And it's quite clear that, you know, in China that Beijing and, and regulators are kind of very, cautious about that kind of stuff. And we've seen that, you know, things like uh, Bitcoin trading has been banned. And while the government's very positive about blockchain in general, it's quite clear that they're quite restrictive about companies setting up or dabbling in cryptocurrencies that could potentially be a threat to their centralized control on the on the money supply. Um, so, yeah, one of the interesting comments from Pony Ma was like <laughs> his take on it was uh, I, I can't remember it word for word, but it was uh, something like, "Yeah, you know, the technology's been there for a few years, and this isn't new, and uh, it just depends on what the regulators allow you to do." Which uh, sort of is quite clearly reading between the lines on it. It's like you know, we we've wanted to do something like this before, but we can't because Beijing won't let us, and, and, and which is. You know, totally unsurprising, right? They've been Tencent, like I said before, they went to IPO off virtual currency, right? They've made more money off virtual currencies than probably anyone else. Can't think of any company that would have made more. You know, it's very, of course, they would love to do a, a cryptocurrency and do something similar to what Facebook's doing, but they probably can't, I would imagine. Although we don't know what's happened, you know, discussions behind closed doors, just simply reading between the lines. But from QCoin, I think the lessons, you know, we've, Going back to that, what is the lessons about it for, for Libra is, is that uh, virtual currencies, um, whether it's crypto or not, um, regardless of the sort of back-end technology, there's a sort of precedent here that Qcoin became super, super popular as an alternative currency to, to RMB. And I think that just shows the power, the potential power that Libra could have, that uh, I believe, in, especially in markets around the world where the st- perhaps the currencies are less stable, perhaps it's um, faith in the local government is less stable. Um, you know, there's many countries around the world where they already use the, the dollar as a sort of um, proxy currency, right? Because it's it's more stable and it's accepted. But I think Libra also could have the potential to sort of fulfill this role of being a, a more trusted and more stable uh, currency, which is easily transactable. And and given that around the world, especially in developing countries, you know, Thailand's a great example that you used earlier on, John, like in markets like that, you'll see that people are using Facebook products, you know, all day long on their phones. And so it's actually the most convenient place in order for people to, you know, make transactions. And we've seen the power of that with, with WeChat Pay, right? And with like things like Lucky Money and just the convenience of peer-to-peer transactions. When you make sending money as easy as sending a picture um, or sending a short video, literally, you know, within a chat user interface that people are already familiar with, that they already use multiple times a day. It's just an extra button there. When you make it that simple, people use it. Because a, a big barrier to entry for a lot of these, you know, when we talk, there's so much experimentation in crypto, right? And and in, in terms of like people are really, you know, very uh, experimenting in this area a lot and building very interesting things. But the ch- well, you know, challenge is 
translating that down into an experience that you know your your mother-in-law or or your grandmother potentially you know someone who's an older generation person or even someone who's in from um, a rural township that's you know received you know only very basic education you know these less technically savvy people can they use it you know can they understand it is it intuitive um is it is it simple is it you know sort of like something that's universal that that can be taught to people very easily um which is what we saw with wechat pay right we're rolling out wechat pay why it moved so fast is actually during spring festival of lucky money like for when families were together they people would teach other people in their in their family how to use WeChat pay, how to use lucky money. And that's why the adoption for, for something like this moved so fast in China so quickly. Um, so I think Libra has the potential to do this. You know, Facebook knows how to build intuitive user interfaces. And, um, and the same thing of like integrating that into messaging, I think it can be super powerful. Yeah. I mean, I think that Southeast Asia is actually really interesting. Ecosystem. So you're talking about how maybe, you know, Facebook, I mean, this is actually really interesting because Southeast Asia is becoming more and more of a battleground between the, the East and, and the West in terms of technology and, uh, you know, O2O services, let's say. And so that's, that's kind of my big question is that, when we already have a developing services ecosystem, and so when I say services, I mean things like food delivery and ride hailing and, and anything, anything that you might be able to order uh, on your phone, right? But a lot of times, this is either it's either done the 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 actual transaction is either done through credit card, through cash, or in the case of Grab, interestingly enough, through through Alipay. And so this is this is actually a big big question I have for for Facebook and and Libra. So number num- number one, uh, I think Ben Thompson makes this point. Uh, number one, you know, all we're really talking about when we're talking about uh, transferring money online, all we're really talking about is changing a one to a zero, you know, in in some some kind of database, uh, and 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 vice versa. All we're really talking about is bits changing. The big issue is like why why would Facebook want to do do a cryptocurrency has has everything to do with standards and whether or not they want to uh, to pay to be a payment processor on the level of like a Visa or or a Mastercard whether or not they want to work with uh, a Visa or a Mastercard and so. The big question when it comes to success, in particular, success against Alipay and WeChat in in markets where they already exist and are, and are in use, like Thailand and other parts of Southeast Asia, is you know can can Facebook provide partners with with extra benefits? Is there an extra benefit to using this cryptocurrency over? Just using you know a system that you already that you already have partnerships with, and so that's 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 going to be the real thing, and so and that's actually what's really cool about it. So like in the states, you know this this actually could be a really interesting way to disrupt credit cards in China. Well, it's never gonna it's never gonna you know Facebook's never gonna have this in China. Whereas like in places like Southeast Asia and India, there is this really interesting question of how. I mean, there really isn't that you know this this battle between between potential uh, payment systems. So not only do you have credit cards, but you also have uh, you know WeChat Pay, Alipay. You still have cash, and now now you have now you have Libra. And so the question is, you know, can you know can Facebook convince Grab or Gojek or whoever to actually start uh, you know allowing users to use to use Libra rather than just um, relying on on the, the previous methods. 
Yeah, I think it will have to gain a certain amount of traction before people start integrating it into other platforms. But that traction will come from peer-to-peer. That traction will come from social payments first. And it's definitely going to be remittances that will be the, the ones that adopt this first. Um, if Assuming there's two markets where they haven't regulated against Libra, then you're going to and there's remittances going between those markets. So people working in one country and sending money back to their family in another country. Currently, in most of the world, you know, if you're looking at Africa, if you're looking at Southeast Asia, India, uh, Eastern Europe, places like this, people are using services like like uh, Western Union. And the rates at which they get charged for sending that money across borders back to family members back home is is still very high. So that you know if libra can cut that down and integrate that and and sorry it's rates are not just high but also the they have to physically go to a uh, a western union um store and queue up and fill out a lot of forms and it's very time consuming actually there's a great case study for this of uh, what wechat pay did in hong kong for filipino home helps so they they did a project uh, called a remit a we remit um, which was quite successful. It won, a, it won an award actually for like design quite recently, and it actually worked quite well in terms of like in, in Hong Kong. There's apparently you know, tens of thousands of, of uh, Filipino home helps uh, who work there and send money back home. They usually get one day off a week, and they spend half that day doing remittance payments. This is quite a long process, and so they WeChat built this product, which just enabled them to do that through through WeChat and actually top up the account through Seven Eleven stores, because a lot of people in Hong actually within Hong Kong WeChat only has about fifty percent market penetration, right? So you can't guarantee that everyone will will have it in terms of people paying these home helps. So they worked out a system, and, and like it was quite a, a, a good success for this niche market. But it just demonstrates the power here of like using a messaging app to do remittances. This president there, it can it can really work, and it can it can save a lot of time and, and and money for these people who are often not the you know the most economically challenged people are the people who pay the most in order to send money across uh, across borders is often the case. Yeah, exactly. So I, in terms of like, I, I'm very optimistic about Libra in that respect of like actually being able to help these people uh, around the world to actually save money and save time. That's actually the good side of it, right? That's un- undeniably, if Libra is a success and it has widespread adoption globally, then that's a great thing for, for people sending money, you know, mostly poor people sending money across borders who are being charged quite high at the moment. On the, the, the downside would be the centralized control, right? So when you look at why Facebook would do this, the, the, the incentives are pretty clear. I don't think that, actually, I don't think the, the main incentive for them is to actually monetize it or, or take a cut of these transactions. Uh, although I, I guess that could be possible. I haven't looked into it too much to understand how possible that would be. But it's quite clear that even if there was no financial, direct financial benefit to Facebook to actually set this up, there would still be very considerable side benefits in terms of stickiness and engagement on the platform. You know, long-term, you know, it's a moat, right? It's a very big moat in terms of being disrupted by new messaging platforms or new social platforms coming out. And then, of course, what WeChat's been able to achieve in China in terms of 
building out official accounts and mini programs on top of the platform. And Facebook really hasn't been able to do that um, anywhere near to the level that WeChat's been able to do. The, the, the core reason being there's no native payments in there, right? Like for businesses to invest in things like mini programs, they need to have e-commerce. They need to be able to make transactions. Uh, and for that to be something that people actually want to do, there needs to be native payments that are really uh, simple and easy and ubiquitous. Um, so that's always been missing from the Facebook sort of puzzle in order for them to take uh you know, things like WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger to the next level of, of bringing businesses onto the platform and really making it super sticky in the way that WeChat is. So for them, you know, that's quite clearly the major benefit would be, you know, getting getting to anywhere near the level that WeChat pays had in terms of uh, building out a sort of merchant ecosystem and also e-commerce ecosystem on top of what they already have with social. Yeah, and I think that's 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 the real key. And uh, for Facebook, and this is this is this is what's interesting between you know uh, WeChat, let's say, and uh, the cryptocurrency and Libra, is that in order to actually monetize this, in order to to really be able to to leverage the the cryptocurrency, Facebook is building uh, Calibra, and so you have Calibra, which is uh, which is a digital wallet basically, and so. Blockchain 101, in order to quote unquote have a Bitcoin, let's say, you need to be able to store your private key for that Bitcoin somewhere. And that usually, and that usually happens in a wallet. And that wallet can be software based or it can be, be hardware based. And basically, it's just a way to, to interface with the, uh, with the, the currency. And so Facebook is, is not only building out, helping to build out this Libra network, which again will be relatively decentralized. Centralized, but they're also building Calibra, which is going to integrate directly with Libra. And so they won't necessarily be controlling Libra, at least not directly or at least not fully, but Calibra, the, the wallet, is where all the action's going to be. So that's, that's where all the financial services are going to be offered. That's how people are going to be interact with Libra. So if they want to send money through WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, they need to do that through Calibra. And that's really kind of where the monetization is going to come. Mm, and anyone else can build up their own wallet, right? So it's it's uh, in that way decentralized and, and people can use Libra on other platforms, right? But I just worry that I feel this is an area where the power of defaults might come into play because Facebook is obviously the elephant in the room in terms of traffic here, in terms of users, um, that they'll just tilt these systems slightly in their favor in terms of user experience and, and just little things like uh, default settings, that means that everyone is, ends up using their wallet rather than rather than uh, the competitors, right? I think that's very likely uh, to happen. Uh, I think they'll probably oh, totally, you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, basically, I mean, main mainstreaming is is kind of where 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 it's at. I mean, this is this is the whole the whole problem with like open source, for example. And one of the biggest problems with with blockchain, because most blockchain is actually open source, is that you know half the time you know Linux, for example, or Ubuntu is in some in some senses a superior operating system. But the point is, is that in order for you to actually take advantage of its superiority, you have to be uh, a coder to, to to some degree. You have to be able to you have to learn how to how to issue terminal commands, how to um, 
you know, compile, compile executables and, 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 and all sorts of stuff. So, so definitely, I mean, anyone else can make a Libra compatible wallet. And in fact, you know, existing wallets will probably try to become Libra compatible as quickly as possible. But mm. Calibra, it's going to be in every single Facebook product. And Calibra is owned by Facebook, which means, which means that they're going to be very, very close to the Libra project from the get go, which is going to give them a leg up. Yeah. So although it's technically open source and it's free and, and it seems to be like a space where it's, you know, Facebook's opening it up to anyone to build on top of this, I just sense that that probably won't be the reality, that for Libra, everyone will end up using Facebook's wallet and they will end up having, you know, control over over this um, more than they're making out today. So that's that's probably a bad aspect of it in that, I, and they'll probably use, eventually long term use that dominance in this in this uh, wallet space in order to expand out to having different other cryptocurrencies in there and and using that wallet in the same way that Tencent uses WeChat wallet right uh, wealth management products. That's that's one of now that because in in China they regu- the government's regulated against them taking money on the float. So uh, just to be clear, with, like listeners, like before. For Alipay and WeChat Pay, one of the main business models they would have is that when people leave money in in Alipay, let's say, or WeChat Pay, on the actual balance there, um, you know, that money is technically with uh, still still somewhere, right? It's it's actually with Tencent, and Tencent will invest that money and and they will earn interest on it, and that interest will not be passed on to the user, uh, and. Uh, you know, users usually don't care because the money as an individual is is usually quite small. Uh, but when you add it up over like 800 million users, um, it's it's considerable. And so that model used to be uh, quite lucrative and the Chinese government regulated against it. So that actually now all of that, um, as of January this year, all of that float money has to be stored in non-interest bearing accounts. I don't know with Libra, that you know what's what's going to happen there, but that could potentially be a, a source of profit. But actually, the sort of larger one now, given that that's been regulated away, and Alipay does extremely well in this area, which is offering wealth management services. So you've got money. Let's imagine you've got money in Libra, and then Facebook says, "Well, you know, you can invest that into this uh, product, which will earn you X amount." You know, per per month or, or or per year. So the sort of whole thing with uh, Eurobar that has been the formation of Ant Financial, you know, success and Ant Financial's you know valued at what 150 billion, I think was the last number, right? So there's potential there in terms of offering those uh, investment products to people through a wallet like Calibra. That would be that that could be huge for for Facebook potentially, right? Yeah, and not not just that, but also just uh, transaction data. I think it's it's um it's important to remember that one of the biggest differences between Silicon Valley companies and uh, Chinese tech companies is that from the very very beginning, you know, Facebook, Google, and Amazon to 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 a certain degree, a lot of them they're they're powered by artificial intelligence and they're powered by data collection. And so, you know, for example, Facebook says that there any data taken from Calibra, the wallet, it's not going to be used to target ads. It's like, okay, that's that's fine, but that's really not necessarily how Facebook is going to continue making money 
over the over the long run. And with Calibra in particular, everything is tied to they're they're going to demand that you use a government ID, so they know exactly who you are. They know whatever it is that governments make available to to private companies via the via this government ID and and in just in general blockchain blockchain itself it's never it was never about anonymity it is even with bitcoin it is possible to triangulate and track down the identity of someone if you really really want to but point being is that calibra it's not going to be anonymous and it's not just going to be about financial services but also transaction data who's buying what where are they buying it who are they sending money to and so really kind of building up that social graph and so it's not just about how many messages do you and I send between each other it's also how much money are we sending between each other, right? Which is a completely different angle of of a relationship. And so, you know, having all that metadata, and at the end of the day, Google and Facebook in particular, the way the way that it's enacted is many times through advertisements. So AI powered advertisement engines, basically. Uh, so putting the right ad in front of the right person at the right time and and predicting when that's going to be. So that's that's that that's how a lot of it kind of comes out. But at the end of the day, what what these companies are doing is they're building prediction algorithms, and they're building psychometric profiles, and they're they're trying to figure out okay, what is the relationship between the between these two people or between this person and and this piece of information. So. I think that 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 actually on the back end, you know, if I was an AI engineer, I mean, like I'm I'm looking at this and I'd be I'd be salivating because suddenly I'm able I, I will be able to if I'm working for Facebook and I have and I get I'm I'm working on this project, suddenly I get access to a to a whole new angle on uh, on what people are doing and 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 who they who they are and how they behave. Yeah, I mean, there's with that data, it's it comes in stages. So I think yeah, the potential is there. But I need. I think the beginning of Libra, right now, I think the question is: Is this going to work as a as a success globally through most of the globe? Because it's going to be regulated against, right? Which I think we're going to talk about next. Um, it, it will be. There will be markets where it's just banned. I'm sure. But as long as it can can work in uh, enough markets to get a sort of uh, attraction, let's say, it will be in a sort of peer to peer social payments way first and then it will come into sort of paying for merchant paying paying merchants for goods and services that will be the second stage so it will come in two waves like you won't see many merchants jump on board i mean i might be proved wrong but like if at least our lessons from china right like if how how wechat pay you know got traction it was it was social payments first, right? Definitely, and actually getting merchants on board, they came pretty quickly. But there was a there was definitely um, a year to a year and a half gap between getting critical mass of merchants and getting critical mass of uh, unrolling it out. You know, early on for 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 users and the sort of early early merchants that did come on board were things like um, right, you know, like you were saying, Grab and Gojek, right? It was like O2O services. It was food delivery. It was ride hailing uh, where they really got the early traction. Um, actually getting a lot of merchants on board with something new like Libra, they need to see that, uh, you know, it's got broad traction in the market and people are actually using it first. And a lot of industries are, are you know, pretty conservative about, about building, about you know, offering 
something for Libra, I think. They want to see case studies. They want to see that someone else has done it and it worked for them before they jump in is typically the case with a lot of industries. So it will it will come in those two ways. But if it does come where we get to a stage where Libra is being is accepted by you know merchants broadly in an economy, then yeah, potentially you're you're right, John. There's a treasure trove of information there, and getting that sort you know what what Alibaba and what Tencent have in China is is you know insight into the offline economy. They know what you're spending in the real world. It's not just like your online behavior, but the payments gives them this insight into offline behaviors, uh, and so that that that's really powerful. Uh, and obviously. A lot of people wouldn't like Facebook to have that, right? So let's perhaps we'll cover that now. But like one of the big issues here is that the trust in Facebook, right? I think it's overblown to some degree. My take on it is that yes, I, obviously a lot of people don't trust Facebook, right? They just don't want, wouldn't want to. Uh, the idea of giving them more data and the idea of making payments for a Facebook product uh, when they don't trust the company already is is kind of. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, a bit disturbing, I guess, for a lot of people. But I think, actually, when you look at the Facebook user base, like I say, I, I think this this product with Libra is going to take. Uh, it's actually going to get traction first in markets like you know South America, right? Like Brazil, where everyone's using WhatsApp all the time, right? Or uh, Africa or Southeast Asia, as we were talking about earlier on. Like these are the markets that are probably going to go in first with this kind of stuff. And whereas the U.S. market, I think people are going to be much more cautious, right, about like doing st- you know doing payments through Facebook. That, that's my personal take. I think I think people don't care about it as much in most of the world, but within the Western world, you know, developed market economy, economies like Europe and Western Europe and, and and the U.S. There's definitely a strong negative narrative around Facebook. Mm. Yeah, which is which is funny because there's not such a strong narrative around Google, but I mean like mm. if you're using Gmail, Google is reading your mail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that it's just that Google Google is just they they have they they do a much better job of seeming to be benign uh whereas you have as your CEO this kind of alien looking robot dude <laughs> who, you know, who just avoids questions whenever whenever he's asked about stuff. But yeah, I think trust is a, is going to be a big big issue, but at the same time, I mean like if you look at if you look at for example what Alibaba is doing with uh these mom and pop convenience stores in rural areas, right? And so we kind of talked we didn't really talk about this with with Michael with Michael Norris uh an upcoming episode, but uh but it is something that 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 I think is super is super fascinating is that you know Alibaba is working with these, you know, these like like I said, mom and pops, mm. uh, grocery stores, convenience stores, whatever you want to call them, and, and they're bringing them online. And so you know, it's like it's like you know, bars. You know, they'll they'll have like signs for Budweiser and all this other stuff. Um, and then you know, the the bar gets like cheaper beer, or they get you know uh, help with with marketing and promotion and, and so on and so on. Alibaba is taking that kind of sponsorship model and bringing it to to rural areas in China, and so helping helping with logistics helping with inventory management helping with payment processing helping with you know financial reporting uh, all sorts of different things that 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 these kind of family very small family businesses would never have been able to do by themselves and so i really have to wonder and i think that your point about 
being outside the U.S. or, or gaining traction outside the U.S. and the Western markets first. I think it makes a lot of sense is because if Facebook can begin to provide merchant services, that's where, especially for uh, places where you know, traditional kind of retail infrastructure isn't as robust. You know, if we're talking about, you know, mom and pops in Brazil, mom and pops in India, in Indonesia, and so on and so on. Now, there's something that I think is super, super, uh, super compelling. Obviously, like you said, the remittances is is a huge is is potentially a huge market. But then also just you know helping kind of merchants that are that are that are just you know just uh, just a family or just like a guy with his with his own business. And so yeah, I mean if if they can if they can start start doing that and I mean there might even be able to get some traction in inside the United States. That's a good point. Uh you know with WeChat Pay it started with the small merchants first. So to just reinforce what you said there John like it wasn't the big brands that jumped on using WeChat Pay first. It was like the street vendors. Is they they worked out that using it in a sort of peer to peer transaction was yeah. they didn't need to worry about taking counterfeit money. It was just simpler, you know. If they're if you're selling like jembing jembing guarda, right? Like like pancakes uh, mixed. Like you're you're pretty busy. You're doing a lot of stuff already, and 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 doing a QR code means that it's just simpler uh, for them. So it actually got adoption bottom up first. And yeah, I, I think I agree with you. It probably in markets like Brazil is a great example. You know, even recently, Walmart just announced uh, that they're using WhatsApp for for food delivery in Brazil, right? Like, so already you see in markets like that, that brands and, and businesses want to use messaging platforms. They want to use social platforms in order to do this kind of stuff. Just the infrastructure is not there yet. And so that actually is, is, is a pretty good sign that Libra could work, could work really well. Yeah, and, and and again, I think I, I kind of I almost said this earlier, but you know, I, I I don't like Facebook for a variety of reasons, and it's not just because of quote unquote privacy, but you know, I think that on the other hand, I, like I'm actually really conflicted about this because I think blockchain is going to be. I mean, it has a lot of potential to really change change how we transact and change how we interact, especially between the offline and the online world. That I mean, it's really cool to see that there's finally this possibility of broad-based adoption of of blockchain uh, technology. Obviously, we're only really looking at cryptocurrency, but that's that's kind of that's one of the the, the first steps. Uh, the fact that it's coming from Facebook is concerning, but it will be super super interesting to see how how this how this does does play out. And I think one very important thing to to kind of uh, remind everyone is that you know this is going to be an area that China is going to be completely disconnected from. Mm. You know, obviously the the, the payment war have already been uh, have, have already been settled pretty much you know it's it's uh, it's a we're dealing with a duopoly in most cases I mean there are some smaller players I mean Union pay is trying but not doing very well but it's basically WeChat and an Alipay and everything is directly connected to credit card accounts or, or bank accounts at this point the, there's not much of a necessity for blockchain and as you mentioned earlier Matt it's unclear whether or not the government would actually allow any kind of blockchain based financial services to really flourish in this country obviously it's something that they might want to get into but at this point it's pretty much um, pretty much impossible well with WeChat Pay and Alipay they didn't actually cut out union pay and what what happened in China is they just put an extra layer on top of the essentially uh, debit card system Right. So when we use Alipay, we actually 
that transaction is still involving the banks and it's still going through the union pay system. Uh, it's just automated, so the user doesn't feel like that, that, that that's actually happening, but it still is, and that money's still coming from their bank account. Um, so uh, this is, you know, what Libra's doing is much more ambitious in that respect in terms of, like, it's not that it wouldn't be involving the banks at all, right? It's a separate currency. Um, it's backed by assets, which I assume will, will involve banks um, in order to you know, back up the amount of Libra that you buy. Is, is, uh, there's an equivalent amount of a basket of global currencies I think they're using, right? Which is more non-volatile assets, that's what they referred it to. Uh, referred to. So, you know, that could be things like gold, I guess. I, I'm not sure. But it's, it's much more uh, disruptive to the uh, financial system than what WeChat and Alipay actually were doing when you, when you look at it in that respect, which leads into the, you know, to kind of wrap up our podcast, like looking forward into the future, maybe make some predictions about, you know, how, what, what's going to happen uh, here with Libra. You know, the, the big risk obviously is regulation and is the reaction from government central banks, from regulators in all the markets around the world. We've already seen that Europe... You know, straight after the announcement, there was, uh, I think, some replies from authorities in in France. You know, not not too positive about the <laughs> about what Facebook's trying to do. Will, will they allow this? I mean, it's a huge question. I think that what happened in China uh, took people by surprise. That there was a certain element of like what happened with WeChat Pay and Alipay in terms of mobile payments was a world first and unprecedented at the time, and so. I don't think even the companies themselves expected it to be such a success as it turned out. And even saying that, you know, there were, I don't even remember, John, like back in 2015, I think it was, there were announcements to ban QR code payments, right? There was a time where it was quite clearly there was... You remember that, right? There was announcements that... Silliest announcement in the world of technology. <laughs> well, it was quite clear by then that it already had huge traction in the market and people were using it a lot. But there were, yeah, there was a, an announcement from from the regulators saying that we were going to ban QR code payments and, and it just got ignored. But I think that's a sort of public indicator that there was conflict behind the scenes, right? That the, That clearly there were people, it wasn't, Everyone looks back on it now and says that the Chinese government, oh, look how smart they were for like not regulating, for being hands off, right? Everyone says, oh, they're, they're sort of hands off from regulation until something gets big and then they step in and that allows innovation to flourish and it's a really smart move. But I think the reality is more complex, right? Like that actually, when something like this happens, that there will be people in the, in the sort of state-owned enterprise banking sector, let's say, or in the government regulators who are like really scared and being like, the ground is shifting underneath our feet and we don't know where this is going and we could find ourselves, everyone's out of a job in this industry in five years. We, we, we need to do something. You know, part of it, yeah, is self-preservation and, and just selfish, you know, uh, looking, out for, looking out for yourself and your company. And then also there's a genuine part of it that, you know, the money supply is, is one of the most fundamental things about a country, about an economy. And there's lots of things that can go wrong. And the government is, is a responsibility of a government in order to ensure that things don't go wrong and that an economy functions uh, smoothly, and people are able to make economic transactions uh, with a certain degree of stability and confidence that uh, of what things will be like tomorrow. 
And if things change too fast um, and perhaps there's unforeseen consequences, you know, just like with KuCoin, going back to KuCoin, like, there were unforeseen consequences of just this rapid explosion of usage of a virtual currency that was unregulated that uh, perhaps, you know, there's very legitimate reasons for governments to be scared of Libra. Yeah, honestly, Matt, I don't have much else to add. I think that uh, regulation is going to be a big issue. Facebook seems to have done pretty well uh, when it comes to a lot of that so far. So we'll just have to uh, just have to see. But I think that's all the time that we have for for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review on iTunes. If you're on Overcast or on Pocket Cast, you can just tap on that star button and it will recommend this episode to your network.